when I was younger, I would think like competitions and grants. Competition would be for playing and grants would be to like do a project or like commission somebody or to get money for something. And now I'm like, I think I've changed a little bit how I approach that. I'm thinking more about like finding collaborators who are like also presenters who would be interested in like investing in a project. Like for example, last year we we applied for yet another grant, but we work with three presenters who would help like fund the grant and bring the composer and our quartet to those various places and around the community as well. So it was kind of like a different process and one that I'm very interested in kind of like changing. But so you're you're a violinist. So yeah. you're you're a violinist by trade. So when you go to a show or you have a premiere or you're presenting, like you yeah. presented a bunch of times at Carnegie Hall yeah. and big places like that, and then you have like a radio interview or something yeah. leading up to it, like what's what's that like? It's harder for me to talk about things. Like I feel very awkward not having my violin because I'm okay. used to talking like from the stage or, you know, to audience members and things like that um, after the show. Like that's very normal. Um, but like speaking formally about anything is like not really what I'm used to doing. <laughs> so speaking, so wait a second. So speaking after the show, yeah, like to the audience that there is fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. What about like speaking during the show, like between pieces? Is that also fine? Or I think there... I've just gotten used to it. Yeah. I've gotten used to it over time. Like that's just something that we like have learned to do and just be able to like connect with the audience and like share, especially like about new music, you know, what the piece is about, what our relationship with the composer is about. I mean, I some I sometimes practice those too. And I think I'll always about what I'm going to say, but uh, without my violin in hand, it feels, <laughs> it feels very dog, strange. I have my dog, dog, my dog Luna. Yeah. This is yeah. Luna right here. This is Luna. That's Luna in hand. <laughs> so that's, that's about the same size. Uh, basically, <laughs> basically, yeah. But what I was going to say is because I have this feeling, because I'm a, I'm a composer, I guess, with the capital C or whatever you want to call it. Like that's, in my mind, my identity is tied with that. And for whatever reason in the composition world, there is there's a big backlash between talking about your piece. Like more often than not, I don't talk about my piece before the piece is played. Yeah. And that's like kind of normal. Yeah. But I feel like in the especially like the music the musician world, that's like you got you gotta talk. And even when yeah. I was at Juilliard, I remember um, the musicians like it was required at their recitals that they had to speak. Yeah. before each and every piece or yeah. almost each and every piece yeah and i thought that was very different than, i mean like i've never had that sort of pressure i guess yeah or like even a presenter they might ask me oh do you want to speak right. before your piece it, almost like it was an option like i didn't i could have like said you no have you know yeah. i don't have to say yes but yeah. for you guys i feel yeah. like that's not the case yeah it's becoming much more normal i think now to be expected to say something and now, actually, sometimes when I go to concerts, then, and if I don't hear somebody say something, it's like, I kind of wish that I have a little bit of insight into, like, what their, what their thought process is, like, either for the programming or for the piece or um, just something, like, you know, that I can connect with, not just them, but, like, the music on. So I think it's become much more a part of, like, the training process and also just, like, professionally, it helps yeah. audiences, like, that don't grow up listening to Ligeti or Schoenberg or, I mean, those are old, right? So yeah, like, especially, I mean, for, especially for new music. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there, a lot of our audiences, like I've seen like all sorts of, you know, very young kind of vibrant audiences and also like gray-haired folks. <laughs> so like <clears throat> everybody's kind of coming from a different place and that's kind of exciting to be able to like be the person who can like introduce a piece to them and have them experience it sometimes for the first time. Yeah, I mean, like, at least for me, it's no question. I will talk. Uh, to me, it's like a skill. It's like another skill. Yeah. Like, doing this is a skill. Yeah. And I think that this helps the public speaking part of it, too. Yeah. And I think, you know, I know, no, I know most people are not comfortable doing that, but in a way, when you're playing your violin or I'm writing a piece that someone else is going to play, like, I'm being vulnerable or you're being vulnerable anyway, so we yeah. might as well just <laughs> keep going with that vulnerable card, right? Like, we're yeah. already vulnerable out there. Like, they could hear you play a wrong note, especially yeah. if it's something that's in their repertoire. Yeah. They could tell. Yeah. Or, like, you know, they might not like my piece at all. Yeah. So, at least talking or saying something that's more on their wavelength, yeah. like, in terms of our the language, Yeah. I, that only is going to help, I feel like. Yeah. 
than yeah. than hinder yeah. the process the, the communication process yeah I yeah. suppose. Yeah, I think so. I mean, although <clears throat> it's become sort of like an added tool that we're all expected to have now. Yeah. Whereas like, I mean, playing the violin is really difficult. To begin <laughs> so, with, yeah. Yeah. So like when I started speaking for audiences, I was like. Now, quick pit stop to let you know that I do offer one-on-one -on -one consultations and lessons in regards to anything composition related. This can range for helping you put together your portfolio for any composition degree that you're applying to. Or you might want to improve your creative chops as a composer from week to week or month to month. Or you might want to get a better handle of the behind the scenes of what it's like to be a composer. How do you sell your sheet music? How do you negotiate commission rates? How do you apply to contests? How do you apply to grants? How do you do anything as a composer, let alone just writing the music? So if this is you, you can contact me using the link down in the description below. Oh, like I'm more nervous about speaking than playing, first of all. Really? Yeah, wow. definitely. Okay. And then I also, would never have guessed that. Yeah. And then like also like, gosh, it's like this is, it's hard enough as it is to just go out on stage and like perform. And so now I have to like learn this other skill and add it to, the, to my plate. Um, so it's something that like just by practice I've gotten more used to, but yeah, it's, um, was there fun. ever a time when you went up, uh, I don't know if you care to share, but it's just interesting. Was there ever a time you came up to, to talk, uh, especially, you know, on stage where you thought, oh my God, I lost everything in my head. Like I can't, I knew what I was going to say, but like, you know, it's almost yeah. like when you memorize a piece and then for whatever reason you show up <laughs> on stage and you forgot it all. Yeah. Is that, has that ever happened to you? I have luckily that has never happened to me because I think that would be my worst nightmare. Okay. <laughs> so I usually have like notes that I prepare like bullet points or something that I'll just have up, you know, just in my hand or like, you know, on my iPad or yeah. something just to like, so that I don't have that situation. So you're prepared. See, I'm not prepared. Uh, it would be, that would, I mean, I get like nightmares about, a lot of performers get nightmares about like going mm -hmm. on stage and like having learned the wrong piece or like, you know, like the memory slip and things. And yeah, I think talking would maybe be even worse than that. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could say that like, at least for me, it was in recent memory uh, last summer, not this summer, but the past summer I was at Tanglewood, a last second kind of request to have this really old piece, like from 2014, which is, I guess, not old in the in the repertoire, yeah. but for me, it's old. Historically. Yeah. And that was the first time it was played in like 10 years. Like mm -hmm. it was a, a piece that was uh, played last at USC, where we both oh, cool. were at school for the yeah. first time. Uh, that's where we met, I mean. And um, I went up on stage to talk. They asked me, oh, do you want to talk? I said, sure, I guess, you know. I'll talk and I didn't realize it until I got there how many freaking people there were yeah at this stage at Tanglewood oh, man. it was at that oh, Ozawa stage oh yeah Ozawa, Ozawa Hall. You know, have you been there yeah yeah oh yeah. my Beautiful. god I get there and I'm like I have I have nothing prepared like I said I haven't heard this piece in like 10 years oh, it's an old piece yeah and I get up there and I like totally flub it completely they hand me the mic nobody introduces me either oh no so nobody knows that I'm the composer oh, of the piece god. I and I don't think anybody before me spoke before their piece either. Like there were other oh, pieces. Oh, so it was just you. So I was, there are other uh, performances before, yeah. new music performances, yeah. but they didn't speak. So yeah. I spoke yeah. and I was like, well, I'm the composer of this thing. <laughs> this is what it's about. I don't even remember what I said, but I remember when I got off thinking, well, oh, God, that went horribly. Oh, I don't no. even know why I put myself through that. Yeah. And then my wife, she was telling me, oh, you know, some people around me were saying, oh, you know, that guy's not used to talking in public, is he? Oh, my God. And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> but, you know, you, li but, you yeah. live and learn. Well, you live and learn, yeah. And also, like, we're not trained as public speakers, you know? So it's not yeah. something like, I didn't go to school, like, like as an actor or, you know, as, as and, and I'm, by nature, I'm very introverted. So it's just not, like, something yeah. that I'm used to doing until like you kind of find that that can help like open up the audience and you know help help people connect to different kinds of music and then yeah. i'm like well okay <laughs> i mean it's a memorable experience because like even me screwing up there maybe they'll remember that i screwed up yeah. and then they'll they'll associate me with the piece maybe they like the piece uh, regardless of what what i said before yeah and maybe the same with you so it's yeah. It's, uh, I just think it adds more to the memory of it. Cause sometimes yeah. I go to a concert, especially if nobody talks piece to piece to piece. And I just don't remember anything. Yeah, sometimes sure. I don't even remember who played. Yeah. And there's yeah. this kind of like, almost like a, 
blank slate sort of approach like it's the music and it's all the music only i don't care about anything else yeah. and you kind of forget that there's like human beings involved yeah i think the the more and more like i'm down here by myself listening to recordings <laughs> <laughs> i have this feeling and i have to remember no there's like real people behind right. this stuff that's doing this kind of music yeah I always like encourage my composer friends to speak out. Like I, even though yeah. I personally know how hard it is, but because I think like I'm like privileged to to like s see the personality and the process and like the thought that goes into composition, and I think like the audiences that go don't necessarily have that privilege, and so I I always encourage them to speak because it shows just a little bit, you know, about like it just puts a face like to a name and like put like you said like you know brings a little bit more of the humanity out of out of the music yeah i, I mean at least that it puts the face to the, to the name yeah and i mean speaking to your composer friends i mean one of your composer friends andrew norman you played uh, one of his uh, solo violin piece I, I feel like you are the the <laughs> the sabina the title of the piece sabina you are the sabina soloist because um i mean the way you play this thing and i've heard you play it live like you know, standing two feet away from me. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. So let's hear this two minute excerpt from Sabina by Andrew Norman. This piece here, this is kind of an older piece, right? How it's been a while, right? It's been this a piece. while. I can't remember when it was composed, but it's been. A but minute. at least eight, nine yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. not like last five years no, sort of piece. Last not. ten years, maybe, yeah. kind of piece. Yeah. So, did Andrew write this piece for you, like, or no. did it come from? <clears throat> he um, originally wrote it, originally, originally for viola because he plays viola, and then later arranged it as the last movement of an incredible piece, uh, Companion Guide to Rome, in as a string trio. And then he had, like, different versions, like solo versions that he kind of, you know, that kind of came out of that version. So this happened to be the solo version, which was very new at the time that I came upon it. I had played the trio version and was just blown away by the piece and just the writing. And I just find that piece to be like, so like magical. Like I'm like transported to this like very special place. So I, I really wanted to play that piece this in, in the solo version so that I could, you know, take it with me wherever. I mean, it's definitely like a piece that was key to like, like my understanding and like diving really deeply into new music. Um, so I programmed it in, at USC for my DMA recital. And then I did this video with a friend of mine, just thinking like I just wanted to capture it because it was just like such a gorgeous piece. And I, I mean, and since then, like some people have come up to me like, oh, you play, you're the girl that played <laughs> Sabina, like on YouTube, I've seen that video. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. So I'm glad that it's like kind of found its way out, you know, cause it's, it's such a special piece. Yeah. What's the leap, I guess, for somebody playing violin in the conservatory, you know, playing all this standard rep, playing stuff like that and then playing Sabina, for example. Like, what's that kind of leap? Because it sounds like that you had a similar kind of leap before yeah. you played that piece, right? Or were yeah. you other, playing other kind of crazy new music like that before? I was playing, like, crazy new music because I had been in Europe for a number of years before coming to L.A., 
which is where I met you. So in Europe, sort of like I had a lot of exposure to different kinds of new music and different styles of new music. So that was really interesting. Um, but there was something about Andrew's piece that like kind of like buried itself <laughs> deep inside in a way that like I had. I hadn't really had in a, in that way before. Like, I think for a lot of my friends who are play a lot of new music and are new music enthusiasts, like they have sometimes like a composer or a piece that kind of like opened that world for them in a, in like a personal way. And I think for me that was that piece. But I think even getting into like the ex- the new music exposure, like that was a that was like quite different from like conservatory training like you know you're taught like the major concertos and like you're supposed to like practice your scales in Bach and like you know diligently learn your Paganini caprices like there you're kind of like taught that there's like this levels to gaining technique and like building your repertoire and I had never known that new music like could be a part of that and, so it's not yeah. like this thing that's completely separate to you. It's like all kind of the same. This is kind of the situation I, f- I find myself in as a composer. Yeah. You know, because it's like, well, how do I convince through my writing that this is part of the whole thing? This is right. not like the separate thing. Right. And so for you, you kind of figured that out for yourself, but it was more of a personal thing. It wasn't like a teacher that told you, hey, you should play this uh, new music thing. No. It may, it may, it's good for you. It's like a it's like another course of yeah. vegetables or I w- something. <laughs> I wish. I wish really? I had. Yeah. Okay. I really wish I had a teacher or a mentor who would really, like, inspire me to look for a repertoire that, you know, would be different but would push me in, like, new ways. I learned a lot just by seeing what my friends were doing and what other people were doing. And I thought it was kind of interesting because it wasn't, like, um, the path that I had like been told to, to, to walk upon, you know, it was like kind of something different. It's kind of something unknown. And it was just like, you find something you like. Um, and it's not like there's a history of like, this concerto is the best concerto, right? Like, it's kind of like what you like is what you like. And like what you hear is like, you can have your own personal take on it. And I think for me, that was like a really something that really freed me as a, as a violinist, particularly, but also just as a musician. Like you said, like working with composers kind of helped me find a little bit of more of that hum- humanity to, to writing. Like it's not just like these notes were written down by God and like... <laughs> that's all, what it seems like. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what we're taught, you know, like, oh, these, like this is how you're supposed to play this passage and like, you know, like you listen to the great violinists and like, you know, emulate what they do. And of course there's value to that, right? Like there's value in terms of growing, you know, in that, in the traditional way as well. Um, but I just thought like this was just a really interesting way of seeing somebody else work and compose and see that process and saying like, hey, like that process of working through a piece has always been really fascinating, fascinating to me because it's like sort of, sometimes by trial and error, you know, like you don't really know until you hear what it sounds like. And then even then, like the player might have certain things that like feel good or don't feel good. And that that there's like a feedback loop. And so I've always been really interested in, in seeing that process like change and seeing like how composers will like change stuff, revise stuff. And in a lot of ways, that's changed what I've thought about traditional music as well. Like now when I go back and I see that like Brahms totally rewrote like his B major trio or whatever, like that gives me different insight into him, even though I can't like text him or call him or ask like, hey, why'd you change that? Like that was really good in the first part. If he was alive today, he would be getting a lot of texts. Probably wouldn't even be, probably wouldn't have a phone. (laughs) He'd probably be in a cave like this one actually, now I think about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I always just thought like, you know, composers, they just... They finish it and then like, ta-da, like, and, you know, there's a process of that too, of course, um, and depend, depends on the composer and everybody's like own personal process. But just having that, like, be, being able to see that from a personal end, like really changed how I view music just in general and be able to like connect those things to the things that the, the pieces that I was taught too. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the idea of the feedback loop is really interesting because I've had many musicians come to me 
saying, oh, you know, like, you know, we want a commission, a piece from you, yada, yada, yada. You know, this is the, the date that it's, we expected to have it. And I would usually tell them, you know, you're going to have a lot of stuff before that. And then I expect to have some feedback from you. Yeah. So sometimes that works well. Sometimes it doesn't, depending yeah. on who the musicians are. Right. So I like also as a composer to have that feedback yeah. from musicians. Like yeah. I am humble enough to know that I don't know everything about every instrument. Right. And the other thing is when a lot of composers, I feel like they, you know, they finish the piece and then it's done. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And I feel like there's like a lot of room yeah. in that process of when you don't know. Because like composers don't like to admit they don't know something, you know. <laughs> and I, I do it all the time. Yeah. I mean, not to say that, you know, I'm doing it the right way. I don't know what the right way it is. But the more that I say I don't know mm-hmm. how an instrument works, I feel like the better it's going to be for me in the for long sure. run. Because yeah. I'll add more technique yeah. to my you know toolbox yeah and i think that's really important for a composer just in general because i'm noticing more and more and i have a lot of students you know that take lessons with me and so on that they write mostly in the uh, computer program and there's and there's not much interaction with a musician even if it's right. one musician right and it sounds kind of like basic you know yeah. from our vantage yeah. point that of course you have to collaborate with the composer or musician yeah but it's something that i don't think that is 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 as obvious i think yeah so to hear you say that you know you like to have that feedback loop with a composer yeah i mean i think that's that's what every composer wants to hear (laughs) yeah because like you know there's technique that's possible and then there's technique that is idiomatic to the instrument right and like things that like we've been sometimes trained to do and other things that just feel natural on the instrument and I think there's a difference between like possibility and what will ultimately like help the performer bring the piece to its best light because it's not possible without I mean I guess unless it's electronic music it's not or like computerized music you need the performer to like feel good about it right and feel like they have something to say and feel like this is something that they can put their own voice into too and I, I feel sometimes that like that part is a little bit lost, like that that part of it. And I really value when composers are like, like, how does that fit like for you? You know, what are the what are the things that like you think really sound good or the things that would help bring this piece, you know, because it's a collaboration, I think, ultimately. Yeah. Um, like you think of a lot about like uh, people who had those kinds of going back to Brahms, like um who was the violinist's name? Now I'm forgetting, of course. I don't <laughs> remember either. There was a violinist who was very famous for working with him on all, all of his stuff. So they sent drafts back and forth, you know. Um, and Andrew, I know, is somebody who's like a constant reviser, always revising stuff. Yeah, so so sometimes I'll just get like random texts from my composer friends like, um, you know, hey, like, is this, po- like, how would this sound? Like, does that feel like okay on your instrument? And like, I'm I'm always happy to see that process because i I think it's really valuable you know yeah i've been texting back and forth speaking that with my i think you know her uh, michelle saying from uh, oh yeah she's in la phil so i've been writing her uh, some text back and forth of just sketches violent stuff i said what do you think of this will this work so yeah it could work but if you if you don't want the la phil to play your pieces again then uh, (laughs) i wouldn't put that in i'm like oh okay (laughs) no but she was right i for other reasons, I took that part of the piece out. But yeah. I like when people are honest, right. too, because then it gives right. me a chance to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway, right. and I, I accept the risk. For sure, for sure. Of, of if it doesn't go well. Yeah. And yeah. then if they tell me, oh, that's easy, then yeah. I, sometimes I think, well, that's, that was too easy. Maybe I should have. <laughs> maybe there's something else I could do Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's more of an extreme of this version right. that maybe will help propel the piece right maybe there's something i was not thinking of yeah so like to me it's like super and even if it's a if it's a instrument like the violin which i feel like i know better than i don't know trombone or tuba or you know any of these kind or even percussion i feel like i know the violin better than most other instruments it's still i'm going to ask every time i write something new for violin what what can i do right right so yeah and i think like of course, ultimately, it's it's the composer who has the pen, right? Yeah, of course. But it's about getting that information and, and getting that, you know, feedback from the performers. And I think 
that relationship only strengthens the composition. I want to, you know, we're talking about feedback loops a lot, and I can't get this piece out of my head. Another piece, uh, not for solo violin, but uh, for string quartet, and you're part of the Argus string quartet, who I kind of had sort of an early, very, very sort of early relationship a long time ago uh, when you guys did uh, my yeah, piece. Your piece. My, that was great. It was like one of the first pieces you guys did. Yeah, it was beautiful. And, uh, but this is, a, this is a different, much better piece uh, <laughs> by Chris Cerrone <laughs> called uh, Can't and Won't. This is about two minutes in, I would say. And the whole piece is actually down in the description below, so you can check it out if you like the piece. And uh, let's hear it. piece because it has this idea of looping in it but not in a typical kind of Steve Reich Philip Glass kind of way it's almost like I can't really understand how it works even <laughs> if I'm looking at the score yeah and also physically I'm like I'm looking at it I'm like thinking how did you guys actually play this thing yeah like it sounds like a computer is playing it yeah but it's not yeah. it's you guys yeah. and it's not sped up right no I mean you guys are that's the <laughs> tempo it's not sped up so how does, like, now you're, instead of a solo violin, you're in a group setting. I mean, how does that relationship work now with Chris, for example? Is it, is it you know, one person is in dialogue with him? Is it all of you? Does he kind of uh, write, you know, he finishes it, gives it to you uh, with this specific piece? I mean, how does it work? Because to me, it's, it's, it's so idiomatic, but at the same time, I don't know how it works. Yeah. And I'm a composer. Yeah. So this piece was one that was already written when when we sort of when it was put into our hands and we just thought it was such a cool piece <laughs> like it's just so tightly woven. I think most often what happens is there will be like one point person in a group to be like on behalf of the ensemble be in contact with the composer. So that's the way that we've done it. And in other groups that I play with, it's it's also been sort of similar. And if there are any issues like with the writing or things that we have questions about, we'll always like take lists of questions and we'll send them to, to the composer, in this case, Chris, like, hey, this jump is really far and really fast. So like, what can we do about it? Like, what, what how can we problem solve it? Um, so we'll send those comments like back and forth. But uh, a lot of it is, just also like in re rehearsing the piece, like finding what it is, what is the core thing about the piece that we really want to bring across in a performance. In this particular piece, because it kind of like has two sections that go back and forth, like the really super fast stuff and then like the slow sort of lyrical stuff that blooms. The fast stuff definitely like was a lot of metronome work and a lot of like detailed work, bringing things like up to tempo, but in a way that's like, you know, very energetic and precise. And a lot of it is just like, I think for a new piece like that, like finding out the things that work within the ensemble too. Like for example, like certain cues, how to give certain cues in this one section that goes back be between like six, eight and two, four, 
it's always been like kind of it's been really difficult to coordinate those so uh finding specific cues and who to give those cues is like a a lot of the process too but uh it's it's a great piece (laughs) it's a great piece actually there was uh, I hope it's okay to say this, Chris, <laughs> if you're watching, but... Um, it's especially okay to say it. <laughs> <laughs> there was one performance we had that was like, um, and speaking of nightmares, this this was really difficult. We were stuck on all Ds, and we kind of lost the beat, the pulse. And so we weren't really sure, like we all started looping Ds because we were like, well, certainly there's got to be a D in there, right? No, and it worked kind of out okay. And I just gave a big key for the next section. It worked out okay. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great when, when it really fits in right, then you feel it really lock in. Yeah. That's well, yeah, I mean, feeling. that's actually, that's a good part of the piece because then, you know, you have a fail safe in a way. It's not like you <laughs> have to right. start all over and because yeah. no one knows where they are. Yeah, that's right. Because that's the worst, right? Just yeah. stopping in yeah, the middle the of the piece. Yeah, the stopping is, yeah, that's a bad and, feeling. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then having to admit, oh, I'm sorry, you know, we we have to start yeah. over. I mean, that's that's even, and then you got to yeah. start over. And, yeah. then, <laughs> and then everyone is tense because yeah. maybe you'll fall apart you again. You make it through. At that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this is, this is, a good point that she brought up because you know the composer is sitting there doing writing all the notes and all this stuff but at the end of the day i mean you are there are cues you have to give there is yeah. additional preparation that the composer might not know that you're yeah. doing yeah throughout the process yeah. like this idea of cueing uh, maybe the first violin is in charge of cueing this part the second violin is in charge of cueing this part yeah etc it's not yeah. uh something that the composer necessarily plans yeah, yeah. I I definitely don't, at least. There's a very intricate sort of, let's say, ecosystem (laughs) in (laughs) any given ensemble in terms of like how those things are worked out. And I think it's um, just understanding that it is there can be really like helpful. But we worked also a lot with Chris, like we played it for him a number of times and he gave us feedback and we worked through certain sections with him and he told us certain things that he really wanted to be brought out of the texture um, and other places where, you know, where he he took out some repeats or added some repeats and things like that. You know, it was definitely a collaboration with him, too, to bring this to, to this to the place where we felt like comfortable enough to record it. Yeah. So even after. So this was for a recording. Yeah. That you're talking about. So not the premiere performance. No. Or any of that thing. So there's still a, even after a premiere there's still work to be done on a piece in a way. Yeah. Actually, I think a lot of the times like. It's so sad when when a piece just gets one performance because mm-hmm. I really think that's like the beginning of its life. And I feel like it's... Um, I, I've taken a lot more care to like program older pieces by composers and or, you know, commit to three, four, maybe even more performances of a new piece. Because I think with each performance and with each iteration that it comes back, it like there's more information that's revealed about a piece. There's only so much that you can do for for like a premiere, I think. Um, even if it's given on a really high level, I think there's just, it starts to like breathe and take on its own life. And even better if like there are other performers, performers who, who can take that and, you know, bring it to new places as well. And like from those different interpretations, we also learn more about the piece. And I always try to really plan on playing a piece, a new piece throughout like a season, at least one season. Because I mean, it's like, imagine only hearing like Mozart's 40th symphony one time, like what a shame, right? Like we learn from the history of it. We learn from gaining that time and letting also the piece like accrue interest with the time that it, it's, it's, you know, sitting there. Yeah, and it <laughs> might be that the audience for that piece, for example, or if you want to talk about a string quartet, you want to talk about a you know first ligety string quartet. You talk about any of the bar top string exactly. quartets, yeah, the fourth string quartet or whatever. Maybe that audience, that first audience, wasn't receptive to it, but For maybe sure. another audience would be receptive to it. But yeah. because it failed the first time, yeah, then to say the piece is dead is kind of is kind of tough. Even yeah. like when you uh, have a movie that comes out, right? Yeah. The movie comes out not to one theater right. usually, right? Right. I mean, the movie comes out thousands of theaters and then the aggregate kind of tells you whether the movie was good or not. Yeah. Or, you know, the box office, if you want to call it that. But even if you take the aggregate of, you know, the number of reviewers. Yeah. But with new music, often there's not like a an opportunity for that because the the sample size of the audience is so small. Yeah. I mean, you're even if it's an orchestra piece and there's 2000 people there. Yeah. I mean, that's 
still crazy small. I mean, how many people have heard, you know, the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra right. by now? Right. Or even within the first couple of years right. of that piece being, I mean, thousands, thousands, and maybe millions by now. Right. So it's, you don't give... It's hard because, you know, some pieces don't deserve that. Yeah. You know, there are pieces that I've written, definitely, I don't want to hear again. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying every piece deserves that, but it's yeah. hard to figure out which are the pieces that deserve it. Right. So it takes the performer usually to make that decision. Yeah, and I think that's also been sort of part of my philosophy. I do my best to play a lot of different types of new music because, like, we don't really know... You know what I mean? Like, what what's what's music over time? What's gonna stick over time? And in some way, I don't really feel like it's like my my responsibility to judge that. Like, my job is to play the music as well as as I can, you know, and to bring something to 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 as it's coming to life. And I try to really stop it there, <laughs> and I try to get as much stuff out there as possible because it's like there's a there's so many amazing i think even more so now than ever like so many amazing voices that like just need to be heard you know and they just need those chances to have their pieces played a few times and like to hear what it sounds like and like what we're talking about like that feedback and they can also get that feedback and bring it to their next piece it's just like it's it's a process and it's like like you said like ligety coming out of bartok like it's a it's a lineage it's a process like as we go through life there are different things that we experience and that changes how we how we approach our music making too. And I think like I've tried much more now to embrace that as part of like, just like development and growth instead of feeling like it has to like be there, like, you know, every, every single, every single time. I mean, I'm really glad you mentioned this because these two pieces that we just heard, the Andrew Norman, Christopher Cerrone, I mean, it's, they're both kind of part of the same clique. They both went to Yale. Right. They're both part of this, like, sleeping, sleeping giant, giant collective. collective. Yeah. But you mentioned, you know, that you play different kinds of music. Yeah. I mean, this next piece here is very different than yes. both of those pieces. <laughs> you know, it's a violin sonata, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, called Kanyisa. So let's mm -hmm. hear a couple minutes of that. So I mean, this is by this is not by a composer that's really affiliated with any 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 new music circle. I would say yeah. I've never heard of this composer's name. Yeah. What's his name? Bongani Donada Dodada Breen. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And I mean, stylistically, it's completely different yeah. too. Yeah. So how did this come about? That you're you know you're playing all this crazy yeah. you know stuff with the harmonics, and, <laughs> and, and crazy intense double stops, and and then you play something like this, which yeah. is almost like neo romantic in For style. Sure. I mean, it's completely different. Yeah. So how did you like how did this was it was it again like something where you feel like personally i have to play this piece it's nothing really external it's more from within 
because it's 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 uh-huh. just so different than yeah. the other two. Yeah. So this composer, um, I actually didn't know him before we commissioned this piece, but I have a duo uh, with actually my old college roommate. <laughs> so we go super way back. Cool. Yeah. Um, and she, she's awesome. And she had worked with this composer before, Bongani. Um, he's South African. And um, he was at the time based uh, in Boston. And so we were applying to get this grant to commission a piece and get it uh, recorded, uh, which is a recording that you just saw. And so we were lucky enough to get the grant and to be able to work with him. It's interesting because, like, I thought that his language is, is like I said, like, it's different from a lot of things that, like, um, recently I've been playing. And so I was like, kind of attracted and kind of, like, intrigued by it. Mm. Because of his South African background, he includes a lot of fifths and fourths, which is very unnatural on the violin, by the way. Um, so it, it was like a struggle to learn it, but I kind of like enjoyed that challenge too. So I worked on it a lot with him also to like revise the part and things like that. But you still get like different types of harmonies just because of like th- those specific intervals that are like interesting to him and come like more from his, his roots. Um, and also rhythmically, he includes like in the middle part, there's like a South African sort of like typical rhythm. And the word kanisa is also like is from Hosa. I really enjoy kind of learning more about his background and, and his musical cultural upbringing um, through this piece. We commissioned it in 2020, just as everything was falling apart. Was, the world was, uh, right. yeah, going uh, crazy. And so he decided to write this piece sort of as an elegy to the to that year. Having been based in Boston and having um, you know studied in the states, he has a lot of sort of Western writing experience as well. And so you can hear a lot of sort of the lyricism and a lot of that beauty. Um, that I might associate with maybe other kinds of music, but he that combination I thought was like really special to be able to to be able to create that together with him. It was a very different kind of language that I, you know, had not known before. But I like that challenge of like learning about each person and like what interests them and what their background is and what you know uh, piques their musical you know curiosity. Yeah, because it's very easy to kind of style yourself and be like, okay, I right. am this kind of performer, which yeah. happens. Yeah. And they sure. kind of play. It's not that they get stuck playing that kind of music. They they kind of choose to be stuck, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Because I think now people can kind of are capable of going from one kind of style to another quite right. easily. Right. Uh, but like you made the decision, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something that I don't usually do. Yeah. Well, at least I, from an outsider perspective, sure. I should yeah. say, because yeah. I, I don't know what you do on a day-to-day basis. Right. So to me, that was a really nice contrast, I thought. In terms of the grant, so like just for, you know, people watching, I, what, what grant was this and what's the process of getting a grant like as a performer? Because usually, you know, we're getting grants as composers yeah. and that's kind of a different thing. What's, yeah. what's the process like getting a grant as a performer to want to play a composer's piece? So um, a lot of the grants that I sp- mostly spend time on are grants for commissions. Really? Yeah. So it's not grants for yourself or a fee for yourself or... Not a usually. Project that's not usually. It's usually for commissions. It's usually wow. for commissions. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised so, by that. Yeah. So this one was through this foundation called the Saint Vitolf Club Foundation. It's based in Boston, and it's by recommendation for an emerging. They have like an emerging artist award every year, and they pick several different artists from different disciplines. Like um, there were like some visual arts, like. Uh, writers, literature people, and then like two musicians that they chose for for my particular year. And so you kind of have to be recommended to put into a pool. Um, so I would say that's not really typical of that part is not really typical of grants that I've, I've usually apply for. But like, for example, uh, Chamber Music America has a commissioning grant, which I think maybe they're not doing after next after this next round. But that was one that we got recently, again, with with the with my duo partner Angela and that one is just you submit you know recordings of yourself you record submit recordings of um, the composer's works alongside it and like an idea of like the piece 
that you're looking to to write and create. The idea that there are two types of grants, it sounds like. There's right. the grant where you can apply, anyone can apply. Yeah. And then there's a grant where it's kind of like the secret society or whatever, <laughs> uh, pulling the strings yeah. from the background yeah. Yeah. grant, like the one you got in Boston. Yeah. And I've also been a recipient of both of those types of grants. Uh-huh. And it's it's kind of difficult, you know, because you, yes, it's good to apply for grants, but yeah. it's not something that you could rely on yeah. especially the older that sure. we're, the older that we're getting yeah you know it's not like something that maybe we used to do in our 20s right like all the time like i remember all the time in yeah. my 20s i would be applying left yeah. and right and yeah. but now I'm in my 30s i'm like i don't really feel like doing this anymore <laughs> yeah, like why am i still doing this yeah yeah and i wonder what you feel about that yeah uh, i feel it too i feel kind of <laughs> <laughs> i kind of feel similarly not that i'm revealing your age i guess i revealed your uh, age a little so bit there. old <laughs> we are so old Saad. <laughs> i mean i think a lot i'm i'm becoming to like change my thinking in terms of like doing things and i think like when i was younger i would think like okay like competitions and grants like yeah. competition would be for playing and grants would be to like do a project or like commission somebody or to get you know money for something and now i'm like i think i've changed a little bit like how i approach that um i'll still apply for some grants but i think maybe with my age (laughs) i'm thinking more about like finding collaborators who are like also presenters who would be interested in like investing in a project like for example last year we we applied um for another yet another grant um, but we work with three presenters who would help like fund the grant and bring the composer and our quartet um, to those various places and around the community as well. So it was kind of like a different process and one that I'm very interested in kind of like changing. <laughs> well, that kind of relieves the pressure a little bit off of exactly. you if you're working with other people. I mean, this is how a commission I just finished with the Imani wins. This is how we did it. You know, yeah. they applied to a grant where they were making it sound like, you know, they were going to win it in a way. Like they kind of, maybe, I don't know what the details are, but it sounded like it was going to happen from the way that they were talking to me. It wasn't like a maybe. It's like, you know, you should clear out your schedule if you can, because I think this will happen and this is the fee. Or maybe, or I think what they were saying was, you know, we can pretty much guarantee this fee, but it could be also this fee depending on if we get certain things. So, okay, great. I'll clear it out. And then it happened, everything. But I wasn't involved as the composer in any of that, which was great. Like I literally just had to write the piece and then show up to one rehearsal. (laughs) That's amazing. And then the show after that. Yeah. And it was crazy. I mean, but I guess this is just a thing that happens after you've done it for a while. You hope that you get to a stage where that is a possibility. Yeah, and I think you also, like, get to know sort of which grants are the ones that are, like, a lottery ticket, right? Like, and the ones that are, like, more realistic that you're going to have a shot at. You know, like, every year for certain ones, my friends would be like, you want to apply for this grant? And I'm like, okay, sure. Like, of course, I'll write you a letter. But then, like, and then I'll, like, have a real conversation. Like, okay, how are we really going to do this? (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, like, like you said, like, you, you, sometimes you really don't know. I mean, sometimes you really do have a good shot, right? And that's valuable information to know up front. Just, you know, working, maybe partnering with the university to find, like, if they have a pot of money that they can fund for a concert to you know support the premiere and that and, seems to be a lot more common now yeah than definitely. it was before like having yeah. you know having residencies like right. i know the jack quartet for example goes and has a residency at xyz university right. like every other week it's almost like yeah they are performing at a university more often than right. maybe like a more public venue right. right even though at a university they say that it's a public show like anybody yeah. can come but in reality yeah the people that come are usually like students yeah. or faculty. Yeah. People uh, from that community. From the community, yeah. not really like a random you right. know, concert goer. Right. The only time I've seen it happen where I really feel like the community is involved is at Juilliard. Uh-huh. Like I really feel like when I go to a Juilliard concert, sometimes there are like more like random people or whatever you want to call <laughs> yeah. it. Like outsiders. From outsiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know? They're like, what's happening at Juilliard? Yeah. They're just then, like come to a concert. Yeah. Then just like the, the right. friends of the. Right. So I feel like they're. Yeah. But that's a kind of particular situation yeah. that we both, you know, know about. But yeah. um, in general, I don't think that that happens at the at large. Yeah. But the universities are great for you know, like what we're talking about, like workshopping stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a great like workshop situation where it's like, 
low pressure, like, and, and you can, you can see like how it's done, you know, with the ensemble and see how it works. And then you can take it for a test run and see how it does. And then you can always change it. Right. Like, yeah. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, when you have an ensemble at a university, you are, you are dealing with usually uh, student composers, right? Right. And they all are writing a piece for you and right. they kind of have your contact throughout the semester. They're working on the piece. Right. And when you get there, they're all, all the pieces are done. Yeah. So there is this like, wow, I'm getting all this new music yeah. at the same time. But yeah. then there's also this, wow, I'm getting all this new music <laughs> know, at the same time. I know, I know, yeah. But at least you're not presenting it at like, I don't know, Carnegie or whatever yeah. where there's pressure. There's, yeah. It's just kind of like a small net so you can really try out things right. in right. that kind of setting. Yeah, and we always like, you know, when I'm in that situation, um, I, I always encourage the composers to like take risks and change stuff, right? Because like then you'll get to at least... Even if it, we don't do it for the concert, like we get to like, they get to hear what it's like if we change this or what if I did this, right? Like, I think those options are like great to just hear and try um, and experiment with, even if you keep what's on the page, like as the final thing. Right, right. <laughs> right, yeah. At least they can hear a live person. Yeah, a exactly. Especially a professional group yeah, play yeah. versus maybe a student group that they have at their university. I mean, it depends which university it is. And I mean, right. there are definitely levels to it in terms of the level of musicianship yeah. of the students, yeah. uh, whether that was a valuable experience or not. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, you're at a school like Juilliard or Curtis or a place like this. It, I, At least for me, I remember it, it wasn't as useful to be working with a professional group because to me it's like, well, I have all these musicians here. I mean, <laughs> right. it's kind of like yeah, the problem with riches in yeah. a way that you have yeah. all these great people. It's just a, mind, it's just a matter of finding the ones that connect with, with your voice. Right. And that, that was like our situation at USC when right. I was an undergrad. I think you were you were a doctor student. Wow, I'm that's old. crazy. Well, now we both so. are. Well, now we both <laughs> now have doctorates, so it's a little <laughs> so bit it's old. a little bit more even. <laughs> it's a little more even. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming. Oh, I really appreciate it. I feel like this is like a full circle yeah, kind of situation here. Yeah. So please check out um, Clara's uh, website down in the description below. I also have all those pieces that we uh, that we heard in full there that for you to check out so thanks again cool thank you yep yeah huh? how big should you go yeah, no, just... no not big <laughs> just not kidding. big I'm just <laughs> don't mess up oh, shit. don't mess up your name <laughs> focus you gotta focus focus this is a performance i'm gonna be creative look at that oh that's actually pretty good wow what year is it <laughs> 23 i don't even know at this point wow. All right, there you have it. All right. All right, cool. Thank you. Yay.